Thank you uh, for leading us into worship, and uh, I'm grateful to John and Amber and for uh, the invitation to speak here today. It's great to be here on this Memorial Day weekend. I'm really glad that you're here because it is a Memorial Day weekend, and uh, we know there's a lot of things going on, a lot of people traveling, and uh, we're grateful for the change of pace that we have as we kind of begin summer in an official way. I just want to... Um, Acknowledge. I didn't know what songs uh, you guys were choosing this morning, um, but we just sang a good portion of the chapter that we're going to be focusing on this morning. And I no, I love it. This is great, uh, Troy. Uh, you know, I, I whispered to Cheryl um, as we were singing. I said, I love the artistry of the imagery of, of several of the songs that we were singing this morning because they are rich and sometimes it's really easy to kind of look over it and not actually understand or grasp what, what's going on here in, in uh, the book of Revelation. Um, I've been thinking a lot about worship lately and uh, I want to just begin, it's, this isn't going to be on the screen, but let me just begin by reading three verses that we're going to focus on today, because I think it's, it's important just to, to read them together, uh, and then we're going to kind of look at them individually. But this is from uh, Revelation chapter 4, beginning at verse 2, and, uh, and the Lord gives John this vision. It says, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Did you catch that? We sang about this rainbow in the last song. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Now we could keep reading, and, and I encourage you to kind of look at this whole text over the coming week, but uh, I want to zero in on on these verses, because I, I've been thinking about worship uh, lately. I knew I was going to be speaking this weekend and, and thinking about what, what really, God, do you have me to share? And um, I've talked a lot about church planting when, when I go to speak, and I thought, ah, let's not do that this morning. Let's, uh, let's focus. And I started thinking about worship, and particularly these few verses. And then I started thinking about um, how many times have I been in a worship gathering? So I did, did some quick calculations over the last week. And to my best estimates, I believe that since I was born, which is a long time ago, I know, but I have ten, uh, attended at least 7,000 worship gatherings. And I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's, in one way that seems like a lot. But, you know, I grew up in in, uh, in church in Wisconsin, and, and we were in church Sunday morning, and, and oftentimes Sunday evening and Wednesday evening as well. And then I attended a Bible college and a university and a seminary, and all of these schools had worship kind of baked into the, the schedule. And then, of course, um, Cheryl and I have structured our lives around the rhythms of the church because uh, uh, I served as a pastor for, for a lot of years, and so that meant regular worship as well. And and you would think that after attending at least 7,000 worship gatherings, I would have this worship thing figured out. I mean, if you do anything 7,000 times, you should get fairly good at it, right? You'd think. Um, but I, just a confession, I don't always feel good at worship. I really don't. Um, quite often, I feel like others are experiencing something in a worship gathering that I'm missing. 
Any of you ever felt like that? Like, like there's stuff going on that I'm not clued into or I don't get. Um, a few months ago, I was visiting a church um, out west, and um, a guest pastor had been uh, invited to preach, and she was a very nice lady. I talked to her a little bit afterwards, but I just didn't get what was going on in this worship service, to be honest. For 30 minutes, she got up there and shouted with a very stern face, pointing her finger at the small crowd, and I was honestly not being inspired. I was getting a headache. And I was thinking, have you ever been in one of those worship gatherings or maybe some other thing where you think, I'm getting a little claustrophobic. Where's the exit? That, that's what was happening to me. Now, while that was happening to me, here's what was happening with some others in the small crowd. Some people were standing and clapping and others were shouting amen and some were just raising their hands in affirmation. Clearly, something was going on there among people that I was not part of or that I didn't understand. Now, if I'm honest, this happens to me more than I care to admit. Um, like, when we're singing at, you know, I, I attend a, a lot of different church services with my job, and, um, and I do enjoy being in various places uh, uh, throughout the year, but, and I love music. I mean, I, I, I absolutely love music. I, I enjoy singing and, and um and I enjoy planning worship when I was a pastor. And occasionally I'll admit that God's presence floods over me as we're singing songs of worship in a gathering like this. Occasionally God's love floods over me. But here's the thing. I can't help but notice when I'm in a worship gathering that oftentimes God's love seems to be flooding into other people's lives a lot more than mine. And they seem to be experiencing something that I am not. Oftentimes, if I'm honest, I feel like a rigid telephone pole standing in a sea of emotionally connected worshipers. And, and you know, I, and it just feels like, okay, after 7,000 worship experiences, I should be better at this than I am. Um, well, we all have different personalities, and, you know, that's part of my issue. Um, some of us are more reserved than others, and, and that's okay. So if, you're, if you feel like sometimes you're missing something in worship um, that others are experiencing, I want to just say two things as we begin. One is worship isn't about performing for God. It's not about us doing something in performance for God. You know, God loves those who exalt him with external joy, and God loves those of us who are telephone poles who exalt him with internal reverence, you know? God's happy that we come and worship him. Um, and, and worship really isn't about creating a, a, a feel-good experience. It's not about creating an emotional hit. And sometimes when I look at the church today, I think, okay, we cannot manufacture some things that only the Holy Spirit can do. Um, you know, if, if you need an emotional hit, go to a U2 concert. Um, I hear it, it's great. Or, uh, you know, go to a, a, a comedy club, if that's what, what, what you need. Worship is exalting and declaring our allegiance to the God who is above all gods. Worship involves participating in a reality that is beyond our immediate senses. And that's what I love about the book of Revelation and that we're going to look at today. 
Um, because after Jesus was crucified on the cross, was raised to life on Easter morning, God poured out his Holy Spirit on the believers, you remember, that were gathered in Jerusalem. And then uh, Peter, who is filled with this newly poured out Holy Spirit, begins to speak to the crowd in Acts chapter 2. And, and as Peter speaks, he makes a bold declaration that uh, God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. In, in verse uh, 36 of Acts chapter 2. And, uh, and this was a provocative statement, particularly in the Roman world of the first century. Because Lord was the formal name of Israel's God. Remember, the, um, you know, a, a true Israelite in the Old Testament would not actually pronounce the name of Yahweh, uh, the God of Israel. They, they, would, they would actually use these consonants just to, to identify the, the personal name of God. And Lord is that same name of the of of Israel's God. And then he says Lord and Christ. Now Christ means Messiah, it means anointed one. It is a it is a title with political overtones. So if Jesus was both Lord and Christ, the divine anointed one, then Caesar clearly was not. Right? No wonder Caesar got nervous and began to persecute Christ followers. Um, the disciple John was one of many Christ followers who experienced persecution in the early church. Uh, so much so that John was actually sent to this prison island called Patmos where, um, where he was kind of detained as an exile because he affirmed Jesus as Lord and Christ. And while on the island of Patmos, God gave John this vision. This vision that is recorded for us in the book of Revelation, the final uh, uh, book of our New Testaments. So I want to look at just three images quickly this morning that God gave to John, and he gave to us through the scripture, that really, in my experience, provides a cosmic foundation for my worship, maybe for our worship. So uh, the first one is, was in that uh, first verse that I read, Revelation 4, verse 2. It says, at once, John is writing here, at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So the, uh, this first image that he uh, is given gets his window into heaven. This first image is a throne. Now it's not Caesar's throne. It's not Queen Elizabeth's throne, for those of us who like to watch the Netflix, what's it called? The, the uh, Crown? Great show. Love it. It's not Queen Elizabeth's throne. It isn't a seat of power in Washington, D.C. This throne that John has given this picture of in the throne room of heaven is the ultimate source of power and authority over all creation. I mean, this is the throne above all thrones, Right? And standing at the center of the throne, we learn from chapter 5, verse 6, is the Lamb, another name for Jesus, who had been killed, but is now alive forevermore. And God has exalted Jesus to the highest place. Philippians tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess, again, that he is Lord, right? The first thing that worship does is recenters our lives around the true king who sits on the throne. That's the first and foundational thing that worship does. And if we miss that, nothing else matters, right? You know, God created us to worship. 
God designed us. I mean, he just, when he, when he put us together, he created us as worshiping beings. And I think we all know that um, because we all bow down to some throne. The question is not whether we will worship, it's what or who we will worship. Um, remember back in Exodus when Moses, they, the Israelites had been led out of Egypt and they got to Mount Sinai. Moses is called up on the mountain so that God can reveal to Moses the, the commands of God, the instructions for living as God's people. And uh, what happened to the Israel people, the, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, as they were waiting below at, in the camp, waiting for Moses? Uh, you know, they, they wait a few days and they wait a, a little longer and, and they, they finally says, we don't know what to do. This guy Moses, we don't know where he went. Uh, let's do something so that we can worship. And so they, you know, collect all their gold jewelry. They throw it together and, uh, and then they, they say, well, yeah, we just threw it into the fire and out came this golden calf. I think they were a little more intentional about that, honestly. Um, they form this calf because they want to worship. Now, that wasn't the thing that they should be worshiping. See, but God created us to worship. We are constantly tempted, however, to center our lives around the wrong object of worship, the, the wrong throne. Um, and there are a lot of thrones that we can bow our knees to in our culture. Uh, you know, I mean, money and success are an obvious one that preachers preach about all the time, you know. But, but you know, that, that is a throne that we could easily worship, you know, and I can easily worship. Um, sex is another throne that our culture seems prone to kind of bow be, before, you know. But, you know, sex is a wonderful gift from God, but it's not a throne that we should be centering our lives around. Uh, nationalism has always been a, a throne for centuries, uh, it was true back in biblical times, and, and there's a resurgence in the world today. But we even have to understand, even on Memorial Day weekend, that our hope will never be in a nation or a flag or in an ethnic group, whether that group be white, brown, black, or whatever. Our hope is in the King of kings and the Lord of lords who created us in, in his image, who died to restore our relationship with him, and was raised to life to destroy the power of death forever. This is the only king who can bring wholeness to our broken world. And our world, in spite of all the beauty that it has, is flawed and broken by sin. So here's the thing. When we gather each week to sing and hear God's word, our worship <coughs> recenters our lives around the true king who sits on the ultimate throne. This is the king who has authority over all and every power. This is the king who is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and he has the last word in each of our lives. Jesus' throne is the first image we see in John's uh, vision. And then there's this second image if we read the next verse, chapter 4, verse 3. And it says, And the one who sat there on the throne had the appearance of jasper and ruby. Now, jasper and ruby are what? They're, they're precious stones. They're valuable. Um, and then it says that a rainbow shone like an emerald, another precious stone. Um, this rainbow encircled the throne. Now, suddenly we're getting into some imagery that we don't normally kind of deal with in our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, so what is John describing here? Well, the one seated on the throne 
shines with the brilliance and the clarity of these beautiful, precious stones that reveal a very, very pure kind of light. Um, Verse 6 tells us, if we read on, that in front of this throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, which is clear as crystal. So what I want to suggest that's happening here is John is receiving this vision from God because worship reveals the beauty and the truth of God's light. Now, any of you looked at the forecast for South Central Kansas this week? You don't want to look at it. Um, I looked at it a few days ago and there were a couple of hundreds closing in. I think now they backed off those, but like it's getting hot, right? It's getting hot too fast. How many of you like heat? Like summer. So there are a few people, and my wife's one of them. Uh, I tend to like a little bit more moderate temperature. And here's the thing that I've noticed about living in south central Kansas uh, in the summer. Um, when the south wind begins to blow and you get all that gulf moisture coming up, have you noticed that in the, the like midsummer, you know, you get into late June through August, and the sky, instead of this beautiful sky, it turns sort of milky whitish blue? It's just filled with all this moisture, and the beauty of that sky sort of evaporates. It's not really that pretty. But then you notice that when we get into the fall, and that southern flow is replaced by this cool, crisp northern air that flows in from the northwest, and all of a sudden the sky turns this cobalt blue with the white clouds, and, and the air feels so fresh. Um, My point is that we live in a world where there is this milky gray look to so many things because of sin. And what the scripture is teaching us here, calling us before in worship, is that God created us to live in a world of vivid beauty where truth and love and justice shine with great clarity. And we all long for those things. God designed us to long for beauty and truth and justice. And yet we live in a world with so much gray. A world where beauty has been muted by by sin. Where the colors aren't, aren't that beautiful so often. You know, we get news like we've had in, in South Central Kansas and this week and the, and the, you know, finally finding the body of, of uh, the young Hernandez boy. And, And you think, oh my goodness. We live in such a broken world. There's so much that God created that is so, so far from what he desired. Um, and we get tired of listening to the brokenness. You know, leaders that are twisting the truth, seeing children abused. Um, we're tired of a world that gets uglier and uglier because it is driven by fear and division and self-interest. But worship reminds us that a new day is coming. That Although we live in Friday, Sunday is coming and the sky is going to be cobalt blue. We're reminded that we live in exile right now. This is not our home. But the new Jerusalem is coming, which is our home. Worship reveals the beauty and the truth of God's light. And when we look to the one who sits on the throne... There's something that happens when we see the beauty of his truth. Our minds and our souls are reawakened and they begin to long again for what we were designed for. 
Um, the vivid colors of jasper and ruby, the rainbows um, resembling an emerald, a sea that resembles crystal, they remind us that we belong to a renewed creation that awaits the people of God, a place where truth and justice and beauty are not the occasional aberration, but are normal. And until that day, God calls us to worship and to then reflect the beauty of his light, even in a gray world. Um, so that's the second image, this, these images of precious stones. And then one, one last one that we'll touch on in, verse chap, in chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, it says that surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. That's kind of weird, right? And seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. You think, what in the world are we talking about now? Well, the 24 thrones represent what? Any ideas? What, where, where would 24 come from in the Bible? Well, there's 12 and 12, right? Somebody said it. There's 12 tribes in the Old Testament. I know this is only five, but pretend that's 12. I would be, I would be a very weird aberration if I could do 12 in one hand. So, 12 tribes of Israel, and then there's the 12 disciples or apostles in the New Testament, the, the, the 12 disciples of Jesus. And, you know, John in, receives this vision. Revelation is, um, uses a lot of wonderful imagery, and what the tw number 24 uh, is representing is the whole people of God, the 12 tribes of the Old Covenant, the 12 disciples of the New Covenant. These are the whole people of God, and we are included in those 24 thrones. Um, these 24 thrones are, uh, have 24 elders sitting on them. Now, these 24 elders are pure. They're holy because they are um, dressed in white. They're wearing crowns, so they have power and authority, uh, it tells us in, in chapter 5 of Revelation. Now, I want to just suggest that the 24 elders on these 24 thrones, this is weird, isn't it, right? I mean, this is like, this is Memorial Day weekend. We shouldn't be getting so deep into this uh, imagery, but we're going to do it. These 24 elders were not just angelic, hyper-holy saints. I think there's a real sense of hope in the fact that these were imperfect people who are on these 24 thrones. People who Christ rescued and called and restored, and this should give all of us a great sense of identity and hope. Um, let's just look at a couple of these elders who would be represented on the 24 thrones. Okay, we've got 12 disciples, right? One of the disciples is named Peter. Um, what do we know about Peter? Well, Peter had some issues, right? Peter was not this, you know holier-than-thou saint. Um, Peter had some impulse control problems. When the guards came to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified, you remember what Peter did? Peter, was, Peter came packing. He, and, and when they go up to Jesus to arrest him, he pulls out a sword, and without even thinking it through, he whips the sword at one of the guards, cuts his ear off. Well, Jesus goes over, picks up the ear, Puts it back on, heals the... I mean, you got to be there, right? I mean, this is some amazing stuff happening. Heals the guard and then sort of says, Peter, this isn't, this isn't what we're about. Um, 
So, so Peter goes on from there, and then the next day ends up denying Jesus three times, and then lies about it. So I'm just going to say, these are imperfect people who are represented on the 24 thrones. And what about John, the, the actual person who's writing, recording this vision of Revelation? John was another of Jesus' 12 disciples. He's one of the 24 on the throne, the whole people of God. Um, now, what we know about John from the Gospel writers is that John is repeatedly described as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right? Remember that about John? The disciple whom Jesus loved? Here's the question. Who wrote that about John? John did. So maybe John had a little bit of a self-important opinion of himself, right? Maybe he had a little bit of an issue himself. He wasn't this perfect person. Uh, maybe a, a, a little too, too much ego. But here's the thing. Worship reconciles very imperfect people into God's family. It's a wonderful thing. There's, you know, it's so easy to feel like we don't belong, that we're outside, that, that we don't measure up. And yet when we come to worship before the throne with this beautiful image of truth and recognize that around this throne are 24 other thrones which represent the whole people of God, we believe that we are part of God's family reconciled into God's family through his death on the cross, washed clean from sin, from his sacrifice, made pure so that we can wear these white garments. And then we are given power to reign with the true king who sits on the throne. Did you see that piece of it? That around these 12, or around the throne are these 24 thrones? Thrones have to do with power and reign. Um... So right after Jesus was raised from the dead and before he ascended back to heaven, uh, he and the disciples went out to uh, uh, just out of the city of Jerusalem. And the disciples are kind of getting anxious tears like, okay, Jesus is back alive. Let's get this show on the road. And so they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In, in Acts 1 verse 6. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? Are you now going to finally make Israel great again? And Jesus kind of looks at them and says, uh, you know, you don't quite get it yet, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, what Jesus is pointing out is that there can be no real power, no real change without the power of the Holy Spirit, Right? There can be no transformation without God's power. And uh, the word power here is the word dunamis in the Greek. And, uh, and those of us who, who preach and like to teach the Bible uh, often point out that this is the word dunamis from which we get the uh, anglicized word dynamite. Now, I don't know if any of you work with dynamite, but dynamite's got some power to it, I hear. And, uh, and so we like to say, oh yes, you will receive power, dynamite, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Um, but that, that illusion is only partially true. The Holy Spirit has great power, yes. But the kind of power that we're talking about here is not exactly the power of dynamite. See, dynamite is really good at blowing things up. 
And there is a lot of power in the world being exercised throughout history and even today that just blows things up, that scatters people, that separates, that destroys, that makes a mess out of things. That's not the power of dunamis. Dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus says you will receive power, he's talking about a power that builds things up, not blows things up. That's what Jesus does. Jesus' power comes and restores and reconciles and unites and heals and brings hope. Jesus' power includes rather than excludes. So if you're like me and you sometimes come to worship or you're standing in a worship gathering and you just don't quite feel like you're very good at worship, I want to just encourage you to think of three images and just let your mind go back to Revelation chapter 4. Because when we come to worship God, it's not about performing. It's about acknowledging the one who is on the throne and submitting our lives to him. And it's about letting him speak into our lives that vision of this clarity and beauty that these precious stones represent, that we can see truth in a world that so often doesn't even understand what truth is anymore. And that we are represented around that throne on those 24 other thrones. That we have been made ambassadors of the king. We represent him in the world. And that we have been given power not to blow things up, but to build things up. Remember that on Facebook next time you go on. Before you reply to somebody. Remember the kind of power you've been given as ambassadors of the true king. Power to build things up, not blow things up. I'm never going to be an expressive worshiper. And I'm okay with that. I think God's okay with that. But what I want more than anything is to know that there is a reality beyond what I see that I am part of. And that's what worship is. Entering into the presence of the living God who is just beyond our senses, but very real. The King of kings and Lord of lords. And we worship Him and have hope. Can I pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your great love for us that came when we were lost, Lord, into a gray world, into a world where the colors are so muted, into a world that is so often confused. And you gave yourself, Lord, to begin the restoration of all things. Thank you, Lord, that you are on the throne even today. You are a living God and you are a good God. Thank you, God, for revealing to us through the clarity of this, um, your truth, your word, your presence, your Holy Spirit, Lord, what is right and, and what is not, what is true and what is not. And Lord, thank you that you have called us to reign with you as your sons and daughters with the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that you would empower us, even this week, in our conversations, in our communication on media, in our thoughts and in our actions, God, 
to use power that builds up, not power that blows up. And may others see your presence in your church and give praise and have hope. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.